Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. We are in a series of messages um, we've entitled Knowing Your Enemy. So today, I actually have two titles because I'm hoping to hit two main points, right? Uh, The first one is don't blame God, because that's what people tend to do when problems show up. They blame God, right? And the second title that I put on this is Faith Talks Back, right? I I remember growing up and my dad would say, don't you talk back to me. How many ever heard something like that? Yeah. Well, when the enemy shows up, you've got to talk back, right? In fact, we could even entitle this, faith is sassy, right? Faith will just get right up in the, in the face of opposition. You know, when, when somebody said it this way, that spirit of faith, it, it, it'll make you swing out over hell on a corn stalk and spit in the devil's eye. I like that. All right, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says, least Satan should take advantage of us because we are not ignorant of his devices. You know, the Bible tells us in various places not to be ignorant, but where the Bible tells us not to be ignorant, we tend to be the most ignorant. And, and my observation now is, is pastor here for 40 years is that most of us are ignorant of the devil's attacks. We, we simply think that it's life, that it's circumstances, right? But it is actually the enemy. In uh, 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast in the faith. So he's going about, he's looking whom he can devour. He devours, listen, number one, ignorant people don't realize he's there. Don't realize who the real enemy is. The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against beings without bodies. The true enemy is the devil. Many people are ignorant. Number two, the devil literally consumes passive people. Passive people. 2 Timothy 2, verse 26 says to escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Whose will are you doing? His will. Why? Because yours is passive. All right? You don't resist him. And you've got to resist. And then the third people that the devil consumes are people who participate with him. You can participate through sin, through unbelief. You can participate through unforgiveness. There's a lot of ways you can open the door for the devil. Fear opens the door for the enemy. So Jesus said, John 10, 10, the thief, he doesn't come except to kill, to steal and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Listen, the things that kill, that steal, that destroy do not come from God. They come from the devil. So Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. 
He went about doing good, right? And uh, by the way, the, the Greek word there, we get our word philanthropist from that word, right? So Jesus is out and he's helping the poor, the oppressed, the fatherless, the widow. He's out doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, right? All who were oppressed of whom? The devil. He healed those that were oppressed of the devil. A lot of people think sickness comes from God. It does not. Before the devil showed up, there was no sickness. And once he's gone, there's going to be none. And I think that makes it pretty clear. All right. And of course, the Bible says all those that Jesus healed were oppressed of the devil. So I want to go to the Old Testament to, to start with today, to the book of Job. So if you have a Bible and you open it right in the middle, you find the book of Psalms. And then you go back one more towards the beginning. You go back one more book. It's the book of Job. Right? It's written about a man by the name of Job, written by Moses. It's believed by most Bible scholars to be the first book of the Bible that was ever written. Right? And it says that Job, he feared God, that he was upright he was the richest of all the men of the East, right? And, and God and Satan are having a conversation about Job. And the devil said, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and all that he has on every side? And you've blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. So the devil says, look, it's not fair. He says, I try to get to this guy, but I can't. He said, there's this hedge of protection around him. In verse 12, God said to Satan, look, take a look. Right? Just take a look. Some of your translations say, behold, it means the same thing. It says, look, all that belongs to him is in your power. See, the hedge is down and the devil doesn't even know the hedge is down. Right? Only do not stretch out your hands against him. So Satan went out from Yahweh's or from God's presence. And Satan attacks, the, attacks Job. Now, that's why we're going to look at this. What does a demonic attack look like? Right? The first thing that happened was he attacked his finances. Second thing that happened, he attacked his family. The third thing that happened is he attacked his health. Right? Now, that's a, a pretty good starting point. What does a demonic attack look like? He'll attack your finances, he'll attack your family, and he will attack your health, right? The Bible says in Job 2, verse 7, so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Who struck Job? Satan. Satan struck Job. And again, God said, look, just take a look. That door, that, that hedge, there is a way in, and you haven't even noticed now, one of the ways that that hedge came down was in Job chapter 3, verse 25. It says, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. He feared a great fear. Right? Fear is really faith in the enemy. It's like faith in reverse. Right? And fear opens the door to the enemy. So the Bible tells us this in the New Testament, Philippians chapter four. It says, do not be anxious. Some translation says, do not worry about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. Now listen, 
Worry is fear in its infancy. And the Bible says, don't even give a foothold there. Don't let anxiety, don't let fear even come into your heart. Worry even come into your heart. Take care of things right away. Deal with them immediately. Deal with them in prayer. But, but Job didn't do that. And he had this fear on the inside, which ultimately opened the door for the enemy. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. Now, fear, listen, in its epitome, in its fullness, is actually motivated by an evil spirit. This Bible says the spirit of fear. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, sound mind. All right. So I want to look at, at how the enemy attacked Job. And this, is, I think, is going to be very clear. In Job 34, Job has said, right, my, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Should I lie concerning my right? He says, I'm not going to hide it. I'm right. God's wrong. My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. That might not be super clear. Job 35 verse 1, I think, is even clearer. Do you think this is just? You say, this is what Job said. I am more righteous than God. How many of you know when you think you're more righteous than God, you just got some problems? Right? So kind of wave at me if you're following. Right? Job thinks that he is more righteous than God is. Now, part of the reason for this is he thinks God is his problem. Now, because Job is the oldest book in the Bible, he could not open his Bible and look and see that the devil was the enemy. Right? The Bible is progressive revelation. In other words, as you go through your Bible, more and more truth about every subject is revealed. Right? And you, you ultimately find the ultimate truths right, in the ministry of Jesus and in the New Testament. So Job could not go back and find out what was going on, right? In Job, when, when God shows up, this is what God says to Job. This is Job 38, verse 2. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I'll question you and you will answer me. So God said to Job, who are you? All right. Who is this? who darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Let me just give you kind of like a paraphrase. Job does not know what he's talking about, right? And if you listen to Job, God said you will walk in darkness, okay? Because God, Job, did he's saying things that are not true, right? Now, here's the problem. Most Christians get their theology from Job. I cannot tell you how many times people have quoted Job to me. All right? And God said, the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And if you listen to him, you're going to walk in darkness. I thought that would go over about like that. Right? <laughs> oh, so this is what God says. Listen, have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor. Array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath and look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. 
Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Listen, this is the key verse to the book of Job. All right. Then I, God, will also confess to you that your own right arm can save you. So what did Job think? He thought he could save himself. He thought, I am so good. I can save myself. I don't need a savior. I don't need help. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need to repent. So God confronts him and says, hey, if you can do all of these things, then I will confess to you what you want, that you are righteous on your own and you can save yourself. Listen, every one of us need a savior. You need a savior. I need a savior. Um, In the book of James, it says it like this. It says that if you break any one of the laws, how many of you have broken at least one law in your whole life? One of the Ten Commandments. All right. All right. I'm I'm included. All right. Now, here's what James said. If you broke one of them, you broke all of them. Because the law is just one tablet. It is one consistency. It's a singularity. In other words, all of it is the law. And if you break part of it, you broke it all. Uh, I've told this story before, but I don't know if I was eight years old, 10 years old, whatever we were. Right? My, my, my friend, Jeff Blake, lived across the street. And don't ask me why we're doing it. We're, we're 10. All right. How many of you know boys, their frontal lobe doesn't even develop until they're 25? All right. so, so we are taking big marbles and we're throwing them against the house. Jeff's house. Right? Not a good idea, Jeannie said. You should have been there. So I threw it against the house, but, but there was this big picture window and I missed the house and I got just the corner of the window and broke it. Well, Mr. Blake and my dad had a talk that night and I told them it's just the corner. It's just a little hole. They didn't care. All right. They took all my money. And then I was working for my grandpa and I had a lot. They got all of that, right, for like six months to pay for that window that only had a little crack. But they said, if there's any crack in the window, the whole window's shot. If you just break one part of the law, you broke all the law. So what's the result? You and I, we need a savior. We cannot save ourselves, right? So listen, in chapter 31, Job literally takes the whole chapter and talks about how great he is, how righteous he is. And he said, I've made a covenant with my eyes. He said that I will not look at a young woman in lust. Right? That's done going better than most. Right? In verse 9, he says, For my heart has, if my heart had been enticed by a woman, or if I had lurked at my neighbor's door. He says, no, I've never had anybody do that. I've never been enticed. If I've despised the cause of my male or female servants when they complained to me, he said, every employee I had, I listened to all their complaints and I took them to heart. He said, if I had kept the poor from their desire or the cause of the eyes of the widow to fail or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless did not have to eat. He says, I've always taken care of the poor, the widows, and the fatherless. He said, if I had made gold my hope, 
hope or set of fine gold drew my confidence. If I had rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. He said, I didn't rejoice in all the blessings and the stuff I had. I rejoice in the God who gave it to me. Then he goes on. He says, and if I had rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or had lifted myself up when evil found him. He said, if I'd been happy when something bad happened to my enemy, he said, well, that would be terrible. But he says, I never did that. I remember years ago, I would say it's 25 years ago, probably. Jeannie or I are are at a conference in in Seattle, Washington. And uh, Dr. Cho, the pastor of the largest church in the world, is, is speaking. And he's talking about prayer. And he made this statement. You may have heard me say this before. He said, I have to pray four hours every day because I hate so many people. I must forgive. (laughs) All right. Uh, I don't need to pray four hours a day, but I do pray every day and say, Lord, bless them and bless them and bless them and bless them. All right. Uh, He said, you know, I never rejoiced when something bad happened to my enemy. He said, but no no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I had opened my door to the traveler. I mean, he said, anybody who needed it, I just brought them right into my house, and I I took care of them, right? But when God assessed Job, God said, listen, he said, you who darken counsel by words without knowledge. He said, Job, you cannot save yourself. And Job, I am not your enemy. You think I'm your enemy? but I'm not your enemy. Job 16, 12. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He has taken me by the neck and shaken me to pieces. He set me up for his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gut on the ground. He breaks me with wound upon wound, and he runs at me like a warrior. He's saying, God's my enemy, and God is my problem. Listen to Job chapter 9. This is, this is one thing. Right? New King James says, I believe it says, this is all one thing. It's all the same. Therefore, he said it. He destroys the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge falls suddenly, he laughs at the plight or the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the faces of the judges. Thereof, And if it is not, where and who is he? Other translations, if it's not him, who is it and where is he at? All right. So his question is, if it's not God, who causes all these problems? Answer, the devil. The devil is the one that causes all these problems. Right. It's not God. It's the devil. And where is he? He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? So what happens is this. Job finally realizes what's happening. And the Bible tells us instead of running from God, he runs to God, right? There's a lot of people that really believe that God has mistreated them, that God is their problem, that God has set them up as a target, right? just like Job did. But Job's situation turned around when Job realized God is the answer and God is not the problem. 
And when he turns and he goes to God, the Bible says God turned the captivity of Job. He turned that entire situation around. Now, he ran to God. He's healed. He's blessed. He's delivered. Somebody said, well, why do these things happen? A very simple answer, right? which would include about 95% of why these things happen, is number one, there's simply, there is a devil. And he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Right? Number two, sowing and reaping. It's a, it's a spiritual law. What you sow, you're going to reap. So Proverbs 19, verse 3 says this. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, in other words, you make bad decisions, right? And now you're going to reap the consequences. This is what it says. His, his heart rages against the Lord. People have sown bad seed and reap a bad harvest. You sow dumb seed, you reap dumb harvest. Right? You know what most people do? They get mad at God. Why has this happened to me? Why has this happened to me? I remember years ago, a woman came to us in the church. And, and Christian lady... Um, she says, I'm going to I'm going to marry this, this man. And I said, well, he a Christian. No, no, he's not. But you know, when we get married, he's going to come to church. And when we get married, he's going to stop drinking. And when he get married and I said, look, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not marry him. She says, no, I love him. He loves me and he's going to change. Right? She gets married. I don't know if it's like six months later, she is in her office. She is bawling her eyes out and saying, why has God done this to me? And I said, God didn't do this to you. You did this to yourself. Right? You made a choice and, and you're reaping the seed of that choice. You're reaping the harvest of what you did. All right. And then there's just bad decisions. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 17. Do not be overly wicked nor be foolish. Why should you die? before your time. If I decide, I'm going to go down 28th Street, I'm going to go 80 miles an hour, and I'm going to go through all the lights, red, green, yellow, doesn't matter. If I end up in an accident, how many of you know God did not do that? All right? I was foolish. I was foolish. And the Bible says you can be foolish and die before you, not live out your days. Die before your time. So this is what Job says. He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. <laughs> Listen to this, verse 6. Therefore, I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. He said, look, I was wrong, right? I repent. And he, instead of running from God, making accusations of God, he runs to God and God turns his situation around. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. Look, don't run from God, run to God. Now, that was the introduction. So now, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. So Satan comes with fiery darts. I want to remind you, James chapter 3 says that your tongue is set on fire by hell. In other words, very often, Satan uses the words that we speak as an inroad into our life. Right? So Isaiah 54, verse 17, says, No weapon 
formed against you shall prosper. But every tongue that rises up against you. So what what type of a weapon? Every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you shall condemn. So what are you supposed to do when something is spoken? When words, circumstances come against you, you are supposed to condemn it. You're supposed to confront it. You're supposed to talk back. All right. Talk back to that circumstance. Talk back to that problem. Talk back to that anticipation. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and the righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Let me give you an example of this. David is going to go and fight a giant by the name of Goliath. The Bible tells us about Goliath that he's six cubics and a span. That his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of silver and he had six pieces of armor. Anybody identify six, six, six? All right. He is a type of Satan and demon power. Right? So David says to the king, because the king said, hey, you can't go fight. So David said, look, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he is going to deliver this Philistine into my hand. So he goes out to fight that Philistine. And the Bible says Goliath sees him coming. Right? And Goliath looks at him, and the Bible says he disdained him. He was young and ruddy. And he said, you come to fight me with a stick? Because he's got his shepherd's staff with him. And he says, come here. He says, I'm going to kill you. And I'm going to give your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That's what Goliath said. And then David said, you come against me with a sword and with a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts of Israel, whose armies you have defiled. And today I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take your head off you. And I'm going to feed your body and the body of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. That all the world will know that there is a God in Israel. Right? And so the devil said, and then David said, and then David put his hand in that little bag and took out a stone, slung that stone, hit Goliath in the forehead. He fell over. David went over, grabbed his sword and cut his head off. And that giant did not say anything else. So, so what, what, what do we need to learn? Number one, number one, when the enemy shows up, you need to say something. You need to answer. You need to condemn what has been said. And you need to speak the truth that God says about you. All right. Number two, never let the devil have the last word. Right? Never let the devil have the last word. Jesus is, is out in the desert and he's fasting for 40 days. And the devil came and the Bible says, and the devil said. And then the Bible says, and Jesus said, it is written. And then the Bible says, the devil said again. And then Jesus said again, it is written. And then the devil said again, and then Jesus said again, it is written. Now, you may not recognize this, but there is a war that's going on, right? And it's not with guns or with swords, but it's a war of words. That's what it is, right? And you may not realize it, 
but you're in a war, all right? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 8, and there is no release from that war, all right? When you become a Christian, you enter into a spiritual warfare, right? And if you're ignorant, you don't participate, the devil, he will eat your lunch and pop the bag, right? So what do we need to do? We need to speak to that situation, all right? Jesus answered and said, I want you to think about this. Jesus not only spoke to the devil, he spoke to trees, he spoke to storms, he spoke to sickness, he spoke to disease, he spoke to the waves, he spoke to the wind. He answered. In fact, this is crazy. Jesus goes to a tree and looks for figs and finds none. This is what the Bible says. And he answered it. Get that? Every situation, you need to answer that thing. You need to speak to it. Now, this is what Jesus said, Mark 11, verse 23. All right? Jesus said, for verily or truly, I say to you. So what that means is this. Jesus is going to tell you the truth and you won't believe it. But this is how it works. Truly, I say to you that whosoever, that's you, will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Listen, first of all, if you turn around, you're believing and your words, your mouth, you will change your life. You will turn your life around. You turn around, you're believing and you're speaking and you will turn your life around. All right. And the power, listen, is inconsistency. Right? Jesus ends Mark eleven twenty three saying, you'll have whatsoever you say. Greek word, lego, L-E-G-O. All grandparents, parents, you all know what legos are. All right. Here's, here's the Greek definition. Your set systematic discourse. What you say, what you tell, what you declare. Right? It's not what you say one time. Right? It's your set systematic discourse. It is consistency. Right? And there's, there's a couple reasons for that. But one of the reasons is this. All right? There is a confession of faith and there's a confession unto faith. Both are talked about in the New Testament. All right? Confession unto faith. You might start out not believing what you're saying, but you just keep saying it. And you keep saying it. You keep meditating on it. And the day's going to come. You're going to believe what you say. All right? And then it's not a confession unto faith. It is a confession of faith. All right. So the psalmist said this. He said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress in my God and him will I trust. Psalms 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, listen, let me just close with this only because of time. Now, Jesus said, whosoever will say to this mountain. All right. Now, here's what most of us do. Most of us talk to God about our mountain. Doesn't work. Got that? Jesus didn't say talk to God about your mountain. Or we'll just declare some spiritual truth. We'll, we'll say something like, Lord, I thank you, you're the healer. I thank you, your word says you forgive all my iniquities, heal all my diseases. I thank you that Jesus himself bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases. Thank you, Lord. You didn't do what the Bible says. Now, that's good. That's a confession on two faith, right? But Jesus said, you need to talk to that mountain. Not talk to God about your mountain. And not even just tell God how good he is. But you need to talk to that mountain. 
You, You need to say, cancer, in Jesus' name, I curse you. And in Jesus' name, I command you die. You cannot live in my body. And I command you to die and go in Jesus' name. That's what Jesus told you to do. There's a difference. You see, the other, it's great truth. But it's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, you need to talk to that storm. You need to talk to that mountain. All right? You need to speak to it in Jesus' name. But you need to command it what to do. You say, why? Because Jesus gave you the authority to do that. The Bible says, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. That's who he'll flee from. He'll flee from you. So this is my second closing. All right. <laughs> Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel come to the prom- edge of the promised land. They've been delivered from Egypt. They go through the desert. And God said, I have given you the land. So it's sitting on one side of the Jordan River. The promised land's on the other side. The name of the place is Kadesh Barnea. And Moses sends 12 spies out into the land. And they come back and they give a report. And they told Moses and said, we went to the land where you sent us. And truly, it flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is there? Well, the Bible says they have one cluster of grapes. And they have it on a pole, and it takes two guys to carry one cluster of grapes. Listen, I went to Walmart yesterday. I saw a hundred clusters of grapes, and I could have carried them all. But here's one cluster, and it takes, the grapes must be like this. You know, you cut it open, take the seed out, and you got a meal for the family. They said, man, this is its fruit. Remember, God said, I've given this to you. I have given you the land. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land, they're strong. The cities are fortified and large. And moreover, I saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Siles. The Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Pizzolites and the Pepsilites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land through which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone despise a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw were men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. When they said, we cannot go up, and God had said, I've given it to you, this is what God said. They gave a bad report. When God says one thing, and you and I say something else, that's a bad report. All right? And then this is what God said. So the people said, oh, if we could just, if we had just stayed in Egypt... Now, our wives and our children are going to become victims. And so this is what God said. As I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. They said, we can't go up. And God said, all right, every one of you from 20 years old and above, go back in the desert and die. And your children are going to go in and take possession. Two people. Joshua and Caleb said, let us go up and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. 
Two million people die and don't go in. Two people outlived everybody else, Joshua and Caleb, and they both went in. It's interesting. Everybody got exactly what they believed and exactly what they said. God said, if you've spoken in my ear, so I will do to you. Right? I, I want you to know that you need to have God's word on the inside. David said it like this again. He said, I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust. Right? The Bible says in Revelation 12 and verse 11, and they, that's us, overcome him, that's the devil and everything he brings, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And they love not their lives, even unto death. See, there is no victorious, overcoming Christian life without your testimony. And our testimony needs to be what God says about us. All right? And we need to speak to the mountain. Not about the mountain, to the mountain. Not to God about the mountain. You need to talk to that mountain. Jesus said, speak to that mountain, and you do not doubt in your heart, and you believe those things, but you say will come to pass. You'll have. Jesus said, whatsoever you say. Here's what most of us do. We say what we have. And so all you ever get is what you've got. Jesus did not say, give a report of what you've seen. Right? Jesus said, you need to say not what you have, but what God has promised you. All right? If you just say what you have, all you'll ever have is what you've got. So you need to begin to find out what does God promise me and begin to say what God promises you and speak to the mountain of resistance. Speak to every tongue that rises up against what God has promised you and condemn it. All right. Faith speaks back. Faith talks to the mountain. Faith condemns every tongue that rises up against it, all right? In fact, I'll just say it this way, faith gets sassy, right? Because it believes what God says more than the mountain, more than the situation, more than every tongue that rises up against it. Well, would you bow your heads for just a moment? Now, the, the, the Bible not only has the answers to life, the Bible has the most important questions of life. And I wanted to give you three of them this morning. In James chapter 4, the Bible says, what is your life? So let me ask you, what's your life today? Uh, some people would say, man, Pastor, my life's happy. Somebody else would say, my, my life is a depressed mess. My life is a wreck. Somebody would say, well, my life's my family. Somebody else, it's my job. Somebody might say, well, my life's going somewhere. I know somebody would say, my life's going nowhere. But the Bible answers the question, what is your life? It says, it's but a vapor, and it's here for a moment, and it's gone. <laughs> it's August. It's going to be in the 80s today. But six months from now, you get up in the morning, you walk outside, it's going to be 10. And you breathe, and you're going to see the vapor. You're going to see it for a couple seconds, and it's going to be gone. And the Bible says, in light of eternity, your life is just like that vapor. It's here for a short period of time, and it's gone. Then in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, another question. It says, what will the end be? What will the end be? Well, it's multiple choice. 
but it's just A and B. The end can either be spending eternity in God's presence, or it can be spending eternity separated from God. One we call heaven, the other we call hell. But those are the only two options. There are no others. The third question, Acts chapter 16, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? It's more than just believe. The way we think of believing today. Uh, people say, well, I recognize that that's true. The Bible would just call that mental assent. I believe Jesus died and he rose again. You see, but Bible faith changes the way you live. So if you acknowledge something is true, but it doesn't change the way that you live, it's not faith, the way the Bible talks about faith. Bible faith is you recognize something is true, but then you change the way that you live because of it. That's why when Jesus came, he pronounced and he said, the kingdom of God is here. Rethink your life. Rethink your life. Other translations say change your life. Because the kingdom's here. Because it's available. It's for you. And it's now. Right? So literally to believe scripturally, Bible, the way the Bible tells us, do we believe Jesus came, that he died, that he arose from the dead, that he paid for our sin, that he reconciled us to God. But then we turn our back on our own life. And we say, I'm not living for myself any longer. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. That means give him all of your heart and all of your life. And, it, and if, you've, if you haven't given him all of your heart and all of your life, he, he is not a thief to steal it, a manipulator to trick you. If you haven't given him all of your heart and all of your life, you still have it. But you need to give it to him. You need to receive him. To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. So we're going to pray together right now. If you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God, you're not right with God. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Romans 10, 13, whosoever, that's you, We'll call on the name of the Lord. That's what we're going to do the way the Bible shows us to. The Bible says, we'll be saved. So I'm going to ask everybody to pray this prayer out loud, to make these words your own. And I'm going to ask you, take one hand, put it over your heart, and lift your other hand towards heaven where our help comes from. Right? Will you pray this out loud? Make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again, victorious over death, over sin, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my king, as my savior, as my Lord. And I am going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that my past is gone, that I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.